0: I'm Kate Daniels. Stroke it's one of the leading causes of disability and death in this country. And it's indiscriminate in how it ploughs through the city, the state, the country, striking men and women, not just older, young folks too. We're going to learn as we meet a stroke survivor, Bill Monroe. We're also learning, though, from Dr. Dennis Wang, Stroke Specialist with CHI Franciscan, the things that we can do as preventive steps. So let's meet Dr. Wang and learn this important direction. Dr. Dennis Wang, good morning. Thank you ever so greatly for being with us this morning. Good morning. And thank you for this important work that you do with taking care of our heart and in our brains, because your focus is really on strokes. Is that correct? That's correct. So being that this is your focus, what can you tell us that happens to us, to a person who has a stroke?
1: Well, very generally defined, a stroke is any sudden decrease in your brain's ability to function due to an abnormality of blood flow. Typically, the most common type of stroke is due to a blood clot, blocking blood flow to your brain.
0: And so, how would that blood clot develop?
1: Well, it can develop a number of ways. It can develop if your heart has an abnormal rhythm. It can develop if you have various narrowings of the blood vessels in your neck and other parts of your body. Uh, Those narrowings can slow blood flow down. And when blood flow slows down, blood clots can form. And if blood clots form, they can break off and go to your head and cause a stroke.
0: Okay, so is this very common in our society, in our world? Well, I think that,
1: unfortunately, we all probably know somebody who has had a stroke. And uh, certainly in the state of Washington, they say stroke is the sixth leading cause of death. And uh, even if you're fortunate enough to survive having had a stroke, it oftentimes leaves you with a pretty serious long-term disability.
0: And is stroke something that we might identify as running in the family? Is there that kind of predisposition?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, lots of things can run in the family, and certainly stroke can be one of them. So many of the risk factors for stroke, like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, um, these things can increase your risk for having a stroke, and these are things that can definitely run in families. So if you have any family history of having had a stroke, or you have any of those things that i just described like diabetes it's it's very important for you to try to do everything you can to prevent having a stroke
0: so there's kind of the list of things to be conscious of and in terms of say the blood pressure what is normal blood pressure
1: well the american heart association recently has changed things a little bit and unfortunately they've changed things so that a lot more of us qualify for high blood pressure than uh, did before. So the two numbers to really keep in mind are 130 or 80. So when you get your blood pressure checked, if the top number is 130 or above or if the bottom number is 80 or above, you could have high blood pressure. Though it's important not to get too upset about one single instance or one single reading of high blood pressure because that doesn't necessarily mean you have it, but it does mean that you should probably talk to your doctor and get yourself checked out further.
0: And when it comes to that, if it was a higher number with some consistency, is medication the way to deal with it?
1: So certainly your doctor probably will prescribe some medication, but there are other things you can do to lower blood pressure as well. Uh, It's the typical things that doctors tell all their patients, which would be things like exercise more, eat better, and uh, for many of us, lose a little bit of weight. But if your doctor recommends blood pressure medication, it's important that you take it.
0: Yes, of course. And once we start taking it, it's to be consistent with it because uh, it's not a sporadic kind of thing that we would do.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, there really is no cure for high blood pressure. All you can really do is to keep it under control. And sometimes that's tough to do because having high blood pressure doesn't oftentimes cause a lot of symptoms. You feel okay when you have high blood pressure. But if you do have high blood pressure, that blood pressure oftentimes is doing damage to your body gradually over time. And so it's something that you want to be aware of and something that you want to keep under control if you have it.
0: So many things to be thinking of to keep ourselves in good and better physical health. And yet, is it possible that someone who perhaps follows all the right things would still end up having a stroke
1: it's true it's true Uh, it's no different than sometimes I'll see patients with lung cancer and they'll say why do I have lung cancer I never smoked a day in my life and in those situations it can also be a, a certain amount of bad luck as well but stroke is actually pretty preventable if you have high blood pressure diabetes high cholesterol like we talked about try to get those things under control by seeing your doctor and taking any medication that is prescribed. But there are a lot of things that you can do on your own to lower your risk of stroke and heart attack. And like I said, these are things that you can probably guess. Eating better, exercising more, and certainly if you smoke, it's probably time to consider stopping.
0: So some very basic guidelines there. But yet, a stroke could occur. You have mentioned that uh, in our state, it's the sixth leading cause of death. Now, which, of course, we want to prevent. Not everyone dies from a stroke, though. So what are the, how is a person able to then take action should they feel they're having a stroke?
1: Well, so sometimes it's tough to tell if you're having a stroke, because stroke affects your brain. But it's important to remember the word FAST. It's an acronym we use, F-A-S-T. And that F stands for face. So if you think you're having a stroke, look at yourself in the mirror. Try to smile. If you notice that one side of your face is drooping or it's weak or numb, it's possible you're having a stroke. The A stands for arm. So if you hold your arms out in the air like Superman, if you notice one arm drifting downward or you feel that one arm is weak or numb compared to the other, again, that's a possible sign that you're having a stroke. Uh, S stands for speech. So if you're having trouble saying certain words or getting words out, or if other people who are listening to you are telling you you don't sound right or your speech is very, very slurred, if you have this or if you have any of those things that we just talked about, the T stands for time to call 911. You you really don't have much time to spare. And the reason why is because when you get to the hospital, the treatments that we have for stroke, uh, oftentimes uh, there's a very limited amount of time to get those treatments.
0: And speaking of that, I think I have heard in actually just very recent years that there is medication that a person could take if if it happens quickly.
1: Right. So if you get to the hospital in time, there are therapies now. So it wasn't that long ago that if you went to the hospital and were having a stroke, there wasn't much that we could offer you. But these days there is. There's two main therapies for stroke due to a blood clot blocking blood flow. Uh, The first is a blood clot dissolving medication called TPA. The second thing that we can do if it's a big enough blood clot is we can ask a physician like me to thread various tools through your blood vessels all the way into your head to where the blood clot is and try to physically remove that blood clot. Um, A better way of explaining it to my patients has always been I tell them if you go to Home Depot and you go to the plumbing aisle and you look at what the tools plumbers have to open up clogged pipes, I have very similar tools to try to open up clogged blood vessels inside people's heads. And it's to the point where some patients have referred to me as a brain plumber, which (laughs) to a certain extent is, I guess, kind of true.
0: And do you perform that very often?
1: So the treatment is relatively new. And only recently have we gotten the tools that have been found to be really, really effective. So, certainly, the number of procedures like this that we do has significantly increased. And further research has shown that we have more time than we thought to try to open up blood vessels in people that come to the emergency room. But no matter what, if you think you're having a stroke, don't delay. You don't have much time to spare. Call 911 and get yourself to the hospital.
0: So, that seems to be such a critical piece of it. In your experience... Have you found that people, very many people would end up coming to the hospital thinking they're having a stroke when that wasn't the case? Here, I'm trying to kind of encourage people to make the call should they feel that they are displaying any of those fast symptoms, the FAS at least.
1: Well, we want to cast a wide net. Uh, So certainly if you have a little bit of numbness or something like that, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're having a stroke. On the other hand, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not having a stroke either. And since even just numbness alone can be an indicator that you're having a stroke or you are about to have a very serious stroke, we advise everybody who has possible symptoms or thinks that they are having a stroke to just call 911. Don't take that risk, go to the emergency room and get yourself professional attention.
0: Because would it be so, or is it so that it may just be one of the symptoms that that there is uh, perhaps uh, the speech problem, and and that and the person is actually having a stroke.
1: So, just a single issue alone, like let's say you're having some facial droop, or let's say you're having a little bit of trouble getting words out, that that's still a sign of a stroke, and so ultimately, you know. Though it might be a false alarm, we recommend everybody go to the emergency room because ultimately the therapies that we have to treat stroke, you don't have much time to get them. And a stroke, as it happens, it causes a lot of damage over a very short amount of time. So we tell people, again, just don't take that risk. Just go to the emergency room, get yourself checked out. That's the only way to truly tell if you're having a stroke or not.
0: So the T is time to call 911. That is... Is better to have the the emergency co- uh, personnel come to you rather than uh, thinking that you'll have someone drive you to the hospital?
1: Well, again, uh, time is critical. Yeah. And we certainly don't want the patient themselves, the person who thinks they're having a stroke themselves, to drive to the hospital. So, you know, it it depends on how quickly you can get a ride to the hospital. Typically, we think calling 911 is faster. Exactly. And, safer.
0: and Yes. And, and the attention is there more instantaneously.
1: That's true. If you come by ambulance, typically the emergency room knows to get to you a lot faster than if you show up in your own car.
0: So, again, good words of wisdom. And then, Dr. Wang, if a person has had a stroke, does that mean that there's a predisposition? Uh, and if not, is it possible, though, to have another stroke somewhere down the line?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, that's true. So if you've had one stroke, there's a decent chance that you will have another one. They say one in four people who have had a stroke will probably have a second stroke. And the reason why is because, well, there was probably a reason why you had that first stroke in, in the first place, whether you have diabetes, whether you smoked or have high blood pressure, that sort of thing. And that's why we encourage everyone, particularly those people who have already had a stroke, to be very vigilant and very, very aggressive in controlling all their stroke risk factors to try to prevent another one from happening. So for those of us who haven't had a stroke, it's important to keep your blood pressure and all those things we talked about under control. If you've already had a stroke, just know that you are at higher risk for having another stroke and you should be even more aggressive at getting things under control.
0: Well, I hope that we have all heard this message loudly and clearly because it is so critical to our general well-being. We certainly want to do whatever we can to keep ourselves on a healthy foundation. For people who will want to research more and get more information, where would you direct them, Dr. Wang?
1: Well, in addition to talking to their regular physician, the American Stroke Association has a website, Stroke Association. It's all one word org, And uh, I encourage everybody who wants to learn more about stroke to go to that website.
0: And you would be happy if you would see a decline in that type of patient coming to you.
1: Yes. And I can certainly tell patients or people who are listening that, in general, I am a physician that you typically do not want to see.
0: Much as you are a nice person, we don't want yeah. to see you, right?
1: <laughs> That's what my family tells me,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, I do appreciate you, Dr. Wang, because uh, in your work, in your experience, you certainly have this insight and knowledge, and what it's doing is helping us to become more informed and hopefully energized to do all the right things for ourselves. So I am grateful for the work you do. Oh, well, thank you for having me on. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. So now we've had this medical perspective, which is greatly important, I'm sure you'd agree. We have the opportunity to have with us this morning a young man who himself suffered a stroke and it's so important for us to hear some of these insights and the details so hopefully again it's an education that is going to help us to prevent this happening as much as we possibly can in our own lives so Let's meet Bill Monroe. Bill Monroe, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here and, and talk about this topic.
0: Well, I'm excited that you're here and able to talk to us about this topic, <laughs> although I must say I'm sorry that that happened to you, that you had the stroke.
2: You know, uh, I am too, but I am so lucky in that I got the right treatment at the right time. I've had a lot of great people in my life, and I've been able to sort of work with the limitations that I had. It could have been so much worse for any number of reasons.
0: And so to kind of get the the basis of it, here we are uh, uh, mid-2018. When did your stroke
2: happen? Just over 11 months ago. So June 3rd, 2017, at 7 a.m. that Saturday morning, I woke up and my arm felt a little weird. I thought I kind of slept on it funny, as you do. Yes. So I got up to use the bathroom, and my arm didn't start to get better. And then my left leg started to go offline as well and uh, stopped working like it was supposed to. And I realized, okay, something is going terribly wrong here. I looked in the mirror, and the left side of my face was starting to droop. And I could hear I was starting to slur a little bit in my speech as... I started to lose some control of that left side of my face. Made it back to the bedroom, woke up my girlfriend, asked her if she could understand me. She said, what's wrong? I said, I think I need an ambulance. So she immediately called 911, told them she thought I was having a stroke. And paramedics came to my home on First Hill. They took me over to uh, Swedish Medical Center on Cherry Hill, rolled straight into the ER and straight into the uh, CT machine, to start diagnosis and treatment.
0: But when they arrived mm-hmm. at your home, were, were they already doing some kind of treatment for you?
2: They were already uh, starting to do that kind of treatment. Generally, you know, treatment starts in the ambulance with a stroke. So what they were doing was they were doing a lot of the initial assessment. Let's figure out what's going on here. Um, they asked me to hold my arms up to see if I could hold both. I couldn't. They were checking blood sugar, blood pressure, getting all of this data ready, rolling me into the ambulance, continuing to monitor this stuff, get more information and do a lot of this early diagnosis so that by the time I rolled into the ER, just, you know, less than two miles away, they were all ready for me and ready to go um, due to, you know, that early triage and that early treatment in that ambulance. So there was, you know, pause briefly to put the ID bracelet on and off you go to the scans.
0: And, of course, what that did was confirm that, yes, indeed, you had a stroke.
2: Absolutely. Confirmed that I, I had a stroke. Uh, I had a what's called an ischemic stroke, which means there was a blood clot that formed in the part of my brain called the basal ganglia. That's the part that controls movement of the body. If you're into technology, it's kind of like the windows drivers in my brain for the side of my body broke. The arm and the leg still worked, but my brain no longer had any way to communicate with my left arm and my left leg.
0: And so did that then deteriorate for your arm and leg over time? It
2: did. It did. It started out as just weakness that morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, Over the course of the day, it got worse and worse. By 3 p.m., I couldn't move my arm or my leg at all. And fortunately, by that point, I was in the neuro floor over at the hospital. So the doctors were monitoring that, and the nurses and the caregivers were uh, monitoring that.
0: Now, we've been hearing more recently, like in the last couple so years, that there is a drug that they can give you uh, within a certain window of your experiencing a stroke, but that wasn't your case.
2: No, it wasn't. The drug is called TPA. It's also known as a clot buster. So if you are having a stroke that is caused by a clot, And not all strokes are. Some are caused by a bleed. But if it's caused by a clot and you get to the right hospital within six hours of the stroke, they can treat it with this uh, drug, bust the clot, and really significantly minimize the damage. I've talked to stroke survivors who've had this done and they've been able to get out of the hospital and rehab in a week with very minimal physical disabilities. Now, in my case... I went to sleep, and I woke up with symptoms, so I was already out of that six-hour window. And that's why time is so important. In my case, maybe it happened at seven, maybe it happened at three in the morning, we don't know. But if you think you're having a stroke, and you decide, well, I'm just gonna go sleep it off, yeah. that is a terrible idea, because you can very easily put yourself out of the window. And for some strokes, Within 24 hours, there's new guidance from the American Heart Association that actually um, talks about physical clot removal within 24 hours. There's new treatments around that. So there's a lot of research and a lot of new things happening. But again, it's all still very tightly time-bound, and you have to get that help as quickly as possible. What I tell people is that if you think you might be having a stroke or you're not sure you don't really know. Just call 911 anyway. Let the medical professionals make that decision. If it turns out you're not having a stroke, awesome. Everybody's everybody's relieved and relaxed and there's no embarrassment there. Exactly. If it turns out you are, get that treatment as quickly as possible so you can get back out of the hospital as quickly as possible and really have the best chance for surviving and for living with fewer disabilities.
0: And you've just really touched on all the real classic or important pieces of that so that we can know or be more aware of experiencing a stroke. So there is that an acronym, exactly FAST. Uh, FAST.
2: Because speed is so important. The F in FAST is for face. If you start to see your face drooping or feel your face drooping or suddenly feel like half of your face is filled with Novocaine or somebody else sees this in you, that's one thing to look at. A is for arms. If you cannot hold both of your arms out, if you see one starts going weaker or, or drooping when you try to hold them out, that's the second symptom. S is for speech. If you find your speech is suddenly slurred or you find that you no longer have the ability to grab the right words and process language in the right way, that's another possible symptom. Which brings us to T, time. You see this, any one of these, go ahead Call 911 and let the professionals take it from there because with stroke, time lost is brain lost. This is something that can can continue to get worse. The longer that clot is in place or the longer that bleed is happening, the more brain cells will die.
0: So you experienced that sharing this with us really eliminates any kind of question about what those symptoms would be. So again, no embarrassment about calling 911 because better to be safe than to be experiencing that.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing that a lot of people make the mistake of is they don't think that stroke happens to younger people. They think this is only something that happens when you're older than 65 or older than 70. And that's not true. Over the last 10 or 20 years, we're seeing a much higher percentage of people under 50 suffering from a stroke. I was only 46, and a lot of people think that, oh, I'm too young. It can't happen to me. Mm -hmm. Stroke can happen at any age, it can happen to children, to teens, to folks in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. So don't let your age tell you that you're not having a stroke when there are other symptoms that can. If you think there's that possibility, there's that chance, go ahead and call 911.
0: Exactly. And so you were telling us, Bill, and I can see that your arm is in a sling, Mm -hmm. but you're walking. You use a cane, but still you are walking and getting around. So you've gotten that ability in your limbs. It's come back to you.
2: It's starting to come back. Yeah. I spent um, a month in the hospital and part of that time, most of that time, was in the inpatient rehab wing at Swedish. And what they did is, you know, I was spending three hours a day with physical therapists and occupational therapists. The physical therapists helped me learn to walk again. The occupational therapists helped me with activities of daily living, things like how do you shower? How do you get dressed? How do you start to use that arm again and to work with that? Uh, And so it was that fantastic team. Um, that I worked with speech therapists who uh, work with other patients will help with things like cognitive challenges, learning how to work with language, how to read again, how to swallow, all these different things you may need to relearn. Mm-hmm. There's something called neuroplasticity. Yes, That's something that we didn't really know existed 20 years ago. It used to be. And, you know, if the last time you looked at biology and nerve stuff was in school in the 80s or 90s or earlier, they used to tell you that the brain cells you get when you're born, that's what you got. That's all you get. What they found is that it's not true. The brain can continue to grow new cells and more importantly, repurpose other brain cells. So there are cells in my brain that have rerouted and repurposed themselves around that chunk of scar tissue in the middle now to start building those functions again. Bigger muscles come back first so that's why my leg has come back a lot more mm-hmm. so I walk maybe a half the speed that I used to I use the cane to help with balance and to help with speed and I'm still trying to teach myself how to walk again because when you walk it's it's really about coordinating dozens of different muscles that you didn't even know you had and each one your brain has to develop a new connection to yes With my arm, I can start to lift my arm again and I can sort of start to start using my fingers again, but it takes time. most important thing is, though, that even though it takes time, if I do the work and focus on it and put in that effort, I'm going to build those new connections and it's going to get better. It's just going to take time and believing I can.
0: Uh, You know <laughs> that is all so key and important and and you know i keep nodding my head head at you because <laughs> it, it just really makes such great sense and i'm i'm so sorry again that that you suffered this but yet you know it's you're using it to do such an incredible work by being here and sharing your story for one but you're so articulate about it and just have so much awareness of i'm I'm sure you never even thought that you were going to become such an expert on stroke.
2: <laughs> I know I have learned over the past year I have learned way more about anatomy and neuroplasticity and neurology than any marketing guy should ever know. <laughs> but I'm a big believer also in the power of storytelling, of connecting folks and and with sharing our stories. So many stroke survivors that are out there end up feeling isolated because Maybe their family doesn't understand some of the challenges they're dealing with, especially with the tremendous fatigue that many survivors have to deal with and needing to get a lot more sleep during the day or having more difficulty with emotional control or cognitive control and with physical challenges of sometimes just getting out of the home, you can become more isolated, which leads to even more problems. It's why one of the reasons why I started uh, my podcast – called StrokeCast over at strokecast.com is to help share my story and help share the stories of other survivors who can talk about their experience and can let other folks know that we're not alone, that there are all these other stroke survivors that are out there and we see you and we hear you and your stories matter and they're important. And by telling your story, you can connect with other survivors to help them out and connect with folks who haven't had a stroke at this point to let them know what they need to know in advance. It's the sixth leading cause of death in the state of Washington and the leading cause of long-term physical disability. And the earlier you can get it, the better your chances are of leading a fantastic life.
0: Wow. You are fantastic. (laughs) Really, you you are uh, uh, the poster guy, I think, (laughs) for this. And you're doing such a marvelous work. And uh, I know that we could go on and share other things, but uh, I am so appreciative that you've taken this time with us this morning, Bill, to really give us this insight. And I'm sure that there will be numerous lives saved because of you.
2: Awesome. I'm happy to help any way I can.
0: Thank you.